I'm Audrey Cooper, the editor of the San Francisco Chronicle, and today I chat with J.K. Deneen, who covers development issues at the Chronicle. Recently, he wrote about a large development project that could change how we live in California. Co-living isn't new. SF has been known for hacker dorms and communes and co-ops, but this development will professionalize it and raise the profile of this unusual living arrangement. We talk about what it's like to live in a co-living space coming up on Fifth Emission. J.K. Deneen, development reporter for The Chronicle, thank you for coming here today. Thanks for having me. So you wrote a story uh, that we we published recently that has just like, I, I can't stop thinking about it. And it's about um, co-living. So why don't you explain what co-living is in this context? Well, I mean, there's always been co-living in cities. Young people move in together. And it's traditionally been done on an informal kind of ad hoc basis where hey, I've got a couple of friends, let's get one more person and we can share a house and, you know, we'll all have nice dinners and then the dishes pile up um, and everybody hates each other. And uh, no, not That sounds really. kind of familiar, yes, I remember that. <laughs> not really, but, you know, so this is basically taking that concept and kind of professionalizing it and, um, and you know, it's um, doing that on a very large scale. So the project in South of Market will have 270 bedrooms, and each bedroom has a little teeny tiny bathroom in it, but they share, besides the bed itself and a little sink and shower, they share everything else. So kitchen, social areas, living rooms, roof decks, all that kind of stuff. You know, we all know about people who have roommates, like that's normal. But San Francisco's done other co-living experiments over the years. I mean, we were known for like communes, basically, where people are actually like having families all live together in Victorians. And then the hacker dorms were very popular to talk about maybe five years ago when it was clear that there were um, techies who couldn't find housing and they would all shack up together. But this is something that's totally different. This is actually a real estate developer constructing a new type of housing where everybody's going to share a kitchen and a living room. Right. It's um co-living, room, roommate-type situations on a very large scale, and it's become like a real estate asset class, like cold storage or self-storage or student housing or senior housing. So the people that are investing in it now are hoping that co-living will reach the point where it's that stable because, you know, senior housing is now a many-billion-dollar industry, as is student housing. And 10, 15 years ago, there wasn't very much. Student housing was being built by simply by universities um, on campuses. And now there's all kinds of, you know, high-rise student housing that are shared by multiple institutions. There's, it's really become a, something that Wall Street can get its mind around and invest in. And so that is the hope that that is happening, mean, that it actually is already starting to happen, um, not yet to the point, to the level of student housing, but it seems to be heading in that direction. The development that spurred you to start to cover this is is one in particular development. Tell us about that one. Right. So there's um, on Minna Alley, which is just uh, right near us at, at uh, 901 Mission Street, um, there is a, a single-story uh, warehouse that is occupied by a, um, a construction company, Build. And next to that uh 
10,000 square foot parking lot, our uh, building is a, is a parking lot, a small parking lot. So what this developer, Star City, is doing is knocking down the building and doing a 16-story um, uh, building there, or actually 18-story building there, um, that will have, you know, a, a, every, it's like, ver, it's, every floor will have its own living room, its own kitchen. And so each, there's sort of these vertical communities on each, you know, they call them like houses, like within a big building. Um, so uh, John Deshotsky, the guy that started that for the last couple of years, has been doing co-living on a much on a smaller basis. He took over a couple of empty hotels. He took over uh, an empty office building on Ellis Street, and has been kind of experimenting like what works, how many bathrooms do you need, in what in you know how many kitchens do you need per bedroom, and just sort of figuring out best practices, and also like what kind of services do residents want? Because his idea is that you would get the the good of roommates without the bad. So there's housekeeping to clean your dishes. There's like laundry locker. You, you know. don't have to do your dishes at all. Uh, no, you would do your dishes, but you but housekeeping would come once a week to really deal with the big messes, clean out the fridges, food that should have been thrown away gets thrown away. Um, uh, you know, and so that kind of keeps the mess level down somewhat. Um, and then they also organize events. They organize trips, tri you know, ski trips to Tahoe. They all go to Dolores Park together. They eat every Thursday night. They'll eat, uh, you know, a meal and they'll have, you know, somebody who's a pastry chef who lives there will, tea, you know, tell everybody how to make a cake or something. And so they have different kinds of sort of educational social events. They'll bring in speakers, authors of books to talk about you know, everything from, you know, architecture to art to, to you know, technology. Um, it sounds like you get your recreation and you get to live somewhere at the same time. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's partially driven by necessity. Look, if these most people who live in these places, it's what they can afford. And their alternative would be commuting from Vallejo or, you know, sharing a, a, even a smaller room maybe in a, in, a, in, a, in a house with a bunch of people. But here you have uh, you have rents that are are more or reasonable at least for San Francisco, not for the rest of the country, and um, you have uh, sort of the the social aspect that you get your own room, so you have some privacy, you have your own bathroom, so that's good, and then you get the social aspect of of living with a bunch of people probably your age. Most of the people in these places are in their twenties, maybe early thirties, um, and uh, many of them are new to the city. So a woman that I spoke to moved here from New York, didn't know anybody, and had this instant community. And she said that she's even though some of them have moved out, she's been there 18 months or 20 months. She said that you know, there are friends that she's made there that she will feels like she will know for the rest of her life. So, so these are rental units. You can't buy one of them right, right now. Rental units. Yeah. And so, how much does it cost? Will it cost to have a room in one of in this particular co living? development so the there this development is 50 percent below market rate um, it was approved using this SP 35 legislation um, which requires a certain level of affordability um, so those rooms will be cheaper those rooms but you will have be, to qualify for those you rooms. have to qualify for those so you would have to make you know if you're a single person you'd have to make under I don't know I think it's seventy thousand dollars a year or something like that so how do people apply for that? Through the through the city, 
Yeah, through MOCD, which is Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development. Okay, so some of um, those are reserved for the people who get on this list and are trying to find below market rate housing and qualify for right. it. The other people are going to pay two thousand to to twenty four hundred. And know. and you were saying that the developer thinks that you have to market it so that it's cheaper than a studio apartment because really this is kind of not as good as a studio apartment right. or de- maybe depending on if you want the social aspects but right. that's kind of what they're competing yeah against. you have le- you have less private private space than you would in a, in a traditional studio so yeah his goal is to be 30 to 40 percent below uh like a new construction studio rental unit and was it hard for him to get financing for this project yeah he uh had a really hard time the first time he approached 40 lenders you know family offices debt funds all the different kinds of organizations that that invest in in real estate development pension funds and insurance companies and and he went over 40 uh, they all said no um, and then but there's a lot of other people in this space you know we work is now huge and they now control 10 percent of the office market in the United States and you know in like class a sort of office markets um, and so there's a lot – I think a lot of people have been surprised at the whole co-working thing and they're thinking, you know, if co-working works so well, what about, you know, maybe this, you know, we should start looking more seriously at investing in co-living. So the next time, by the time he went back, he asked 40 lenders and 30 of them, you know, were somewhat interested and at least wanted to have a conversation. And in the end, he got proposals from 10. Wow. That's yeah. a huge change in yeah. that environment in like really, five years in a really short amount of time. So, is this a solution or a partial solution to the housing crisis we have in the Bay Area in San Francisco? I think it could be. I mean, it's a high it's it's density. It's it's a lot more people squeezed into smaller space. So, it's um it's uh, from an environmental standpoint and from a you know densification and more people on the street. Um, uh, more people to 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 frequent, you know, the restaurants and the other businesses that, that pop up in neighborhoods like Soma. So it should be, it should work. The problem is that uh, right now we still have hundreds, if not thousands, of new San Franciscans coming here every week um, for jobs, for uh, entry level tech jobs, for for mid level, mid career tech jobs, and so there's this constant movement of people into the city who need places to stay. Oftentimes, they, you know, they're kind of split between two places. You know, maybe they, they, they have a family in another city. It, it, they're here. They don't know how, if the job's going to work out. And so I think for a lot of people like that, they need to be in San Francisco to work and, and to live at least part-time. But they're not sure how long the job's going to last. And so it's a very convenient place to land because there's there's, they're furnished. These units are furnished. There's, you, you know, you don't need to sign a year lease. You can just, it's month to month. So there's a lot of flexibility there. The problem is what happens when the economy cools down to the point where really there aren't a lot of new people moving into the city. And then what if rents start coming down because the economy is not as hot as it is now and people who are living in co-living 
spaces have an opportunity for the same rent, perhaps, or a little bit more to get their own place um, somewhere else. So will those people stay and will the new people keep coming? So I think that that's there's still a little bit of nervousness around there, around those two points. About but, what happens in the recession. Because people, yeah. it's hard to believe now with how high rents and how high houses are in the Bay Area. But there was a time not very long ago when rents were going down because of the recession. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I moved here in 2002, we rented a flat in North Beach that during the dot-com boom just two years before had been renting for $3,000 and we paid seventeen fifty. So, so that's a huge decrease. That's a huge decrease. It didn't. What did, why didn't you keep that I apartment? Know, I know, right? <laughs> the age-old question about <laughs> rent-controlled units know, in San what Francisco. Were we thinking? What were you thinking? Yeah. So there are some people who think that this is not going to work long term and are not interested, in, including some people who are really avid advocates for uh, more affordable housing in the city. What what is their problem with this co living idea? Well. There's been a little bit of tension around um, not as much with Star City, which is the big developer that that I mostly wrote about. But some of the the other um, operators of co-living spaces have taken over hotels, SRO hotels that were provided some of the most affordable housing in San Francisco. Yeah, sing, uh, single room occupancy hotels uh, right. house a huge number of our formerly ho- homeless population in the city. Right, exactly. So are we are we are we um, just replacing those people with with, you know, young Yuppies. college kids, <laughs> not basically college kids who are who are out and getting their first job with Twitter or Google. Yeah, techies. Did you say hippies or techies? I said yuppies, but yes, yuppies. all of those things. <laughs> yeah. All of those things yeah. probably apply, exactly. but not not for the formerly homeless or people right. who really need the lowest rate of housing. But or if, the it's cheapest n- housing if it's if it's new construction, then you know you're not displacing anybody. You're not you're not um, uh, cannibalizing any existing housing stock. So I feel like the the advocates for affordable housing in San Francisco, they're okay with it as long as it's it's. Um, not canalizing other housing and so long as the developers of these projects are willing to do their below market rate to fulfill their below market rate requirements because that was an issue. The very first project that came in that was on Harrison and 10th that was going to do co-living, their model, um, because group housing zoning at the time in San Francisco is like a category, group housing, and it did not require – they were exempt from – the affordable housing requirements that other people have to fulfill. And so that loophole was closed. And when that loophole was closed, it kind of killed that project because that developer could, could no longer make it work financially and their lender got scared. So they ended up doing a, just a regular old apartment building there. Um, yeah, other people have – other developers like Patrick Kennedy who does micro units, who's – um, very innovative around construction types and, and urbanism and getting more people living in smaller spaces. Um, he is not interested in doing co-living. He looked at it and I think his quote was, uh, you know, I don't want to be a cruise ship director. <laughs> like Because the, these places, in order to work, in order to make people feel comfortable and welcome, they have to create a community. And that's a lot of work. You have to put on parties. You have to make sure everybody's getting along. And so it does have kind of a college dorm or cruise yes, I, I, that's why I've been thinking about it because I've been thinking about all my time as a resident assistant in college and how horrible that <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. was. <laughs> right. 
So uh, the last thing I want to ask you about this is like I, when you came with the story, I had a, a million questions and I'm just going to fire them at you. How do they keep people from stealing their food in the communi- communal kitchen? Well, I asked several people who said that has not happened yet. Occasionally they've had to move people like if the people don't get along. Um, but yeah, so far I, I have not heard of any food stealing, but that's a good question. I just I, I don't believe yeah. that at all. You also um, <laughs> said that there are some developers that are thinking about co-living for families, which were just I just think is would like bedlam at my house. Yeah. Nighttime is bedlam at my house anyway, and I'm not living with other families. How does that work? I think it would be it's kind of like the co the co living model, like writ large. These sort of these like macro units that have some you know shared kitchen and shared living space, but you also have the they're kind of like apartments off of that those shared areas where where families can you know get away from everybody else, and they do have maybe a little kitchen and bathroom. So it's sort of a hybrid model. Okay. Well, I I think this is a fascinating idea, and it sounds like we're going to get a lot more of these proposals maybe coming forward to the city in the next coming weeks. Is there anywhere that you point to as a place that's really doing this well? Chicago has done quite a bit. There's a lot happening in Europe, like Amsterdam. I've heard of New York's got a couple of projects. but it's really in its early stages. And San Jose is has they created a special zoning class for co-living that lifted several requirements. So they if you do co-living, you don't have to provide parking in San Jose. You don't have to you can do a higher, you know, density of units per square foot than the old code allowed. I don't think you have an you don't have an affordable housing requirement either there. Um, and so the result is that there's two big projects slated for San Jose. One is 800 rooms, bedrooms, wow. which would be, the, I think, the largest co-living building in the world. Uh, and that's also Star City, uh, the same company that's building on Mina. And then there's another fairly big project uh, also in San Jose that I think it's three or 400 bedrooms that, that's, that is uh, in, they're going through the approval process now. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking to us. Sure, today maybe about we could it. get like a chronicle co living space somewhere. I think for... this is a great idea because <laughs> then everybody would only be a block away from work. <laughs> exactly. So, in my book, that's a win win. <laughs> All right, let's do it. <laughs> Thanks, awesome. JK. Sure, no problem. Thank you to J.K. Deneen for being with us on this episode. Thank you to Libby Coleman for producing it. And thanks to all of you who listened to it. Fifth and Mission is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. If you like this show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.